So I've got um, a big portion of, of scripture that I want to read to us today and for you guys to read along with me, okay? And so uh, let's go through this together. And this is gonna set up our, our time together today, all right? So I'm reading from Acts chapter two, and I'm gonna start in verse 14, and I'm gonna read all the way to verse 47, all right? And this is quite the scene. If you've read it before, and if you have not read it before, this is an incredible story recorded in our Bibles. So starting in verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades and allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And then it goes on to say, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized and that day about 3000 people were added to them. And in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So that's Acts chapter two, most of it. 
And this happens on the day of Pentecost after God's spirit is poured out, after the disciples are told to wait until they are clothed on power, after Jesus has risen from the dead right as he ascends, after Jesus has been crucified, after Jesus had lived a life here on this earth, teaching the gospel. And here we see this kingdom message is now on the move. And there's a body of believers beginning to form. And we're about to see and look at what they do as we seek today in our world, in our context, just a mere 2000 years later, to try and be all in with church. Because when I read this, I see a group of people all in on the gospel of Jesus and a commitment to the body of Christ. And so we're gonna learn from them today. And so um, I wanna tell you guys a story. So last night I, um, I did something I did as a, as a child growing up, okay? So uh, last night I laid out everything I was gonna wear uh, for the next day. And so when I was a kid, I used to do that each night, Saturday night, I would lay out my black suit with my black tie and my black socks and my black shoes and my white shirt and I have it all laid out and ready to go so that I could get dressed in the morning and go with dad early in the morning to go to church and we'd stock by Hardee's and get a biscuit on the way and I'd come walking into church with my suit on ready to pastor the church with dad. And uh, Buddy Joyner, who's no longer with us, um, remarked one time, that Mark Anthony, he's either going to be a preacher or an undertaker. <laughs> and I'm grateful that Buddy was able to see the answer to that, um, uh, me uh, preach. And so that's what I chose. And I chose that calling very, very early on. See, this began for me at a very young age uh, when I would sneak into my dad's uh, closet and I would grab, before I had a coat of my own, I would grab one of his coats and I would come into my room and I had a stool and I had a little music stand and I grabbed every stuffed animal that I could find and I would lay them out in front of me, my congregation, and, uh, and I would get my picture Bible. And so I had my suit jacket on because that's what you need as a preacher in the 20th century. Um, you know, uh, preachers all throughout time, you know, it wasn't until the suit was invented that you needed a suit to wear, right? Um, so, uh, but that's what you needed, right? And so I, I put on my suit jacket and, uh, and got up on my stool and, and pulled out my picture Bible with all my stuffed animals laid out before me, ready to hear the word of God from this young preacher. And I would get up on my stool and I would look down at my Bible and then I'd look back up at my congregation and I'd look back down at my Bible just very intensely. And I had one message and one message to you guys uh, that I'll share with you guys this morning that I shared back then. It was just one simple message each and every single time. I would look up at my wonderful congregation that I had before me of stuffed animals and my little sister who was also in attendance by choice, I believe, that she wanted to be there. Um, and I would, I would look up and I would just say demonstratively, Jesus is Lord of all. And that was it. And I'd look back down in my Bible and I'd look back up again, Jesus, is Lord of all. And that was my message. And that was the gospel that I preached. And that was the gospel that I had received. And afterwards, altar calls, healings, everybody got saved. It was, it was incredible. And like, there is just some of the best ministry years of my life. All my, all my needs were taken care of. Like I, I didn't even have to like, you know, 
receive any giving or nothing. Like it was, I had all my needs provided for, I had a place to live and food to eat. And so it was just great ministry time for me. And everybody got healed um, that I prayed for back then. Um, And so it was really, really incredible. But there was um, this message within me. That was the message within me. It was that Jesus was Lord of all. And I was grateful. I'm so incredibly grateful. But that was the message that for whatever reason, as a child, whatever for whatever reason, that that was what I grabbed a hold of. That was what I found to be the most paramount thing, the most important thing to proclaim. Since I had the uh, since I had a captive audience, the thing that I wanted to proclaim to this captive audience was that Jesus was Lord of all. And I received that message. But what has kept me in that message is not just my preaching then. What has kept me in the message of Jesus being Lord of all is being devoted to a body of believers. See, I received that message and I proclaimed that message much like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He had this captive audience wondering what is going on. And Peter, who denied Christ three times, Peter, who just seemed to be this stumbling block at different times in Jesus's ministry, seizes an opportunity because he had grabbed a hold of the message. And he tells us people, this Jesus who you crucified, he is Lord and Messiah. But the message did not stop with just that proclamation of the gospel. It had to be lived out. And so what I received as a child, what has kept me in that all these years later is being devoted to church, being devoted to a body of believers. Y'all, I have not shown up to Christian, since the time I was about 17, 18 years old, I was just thinking through some of this. I have not shown up to church later than 8.30 a.m. since I was 17 or 18 years old. I like had to think about it. And, and it's because I just started uh, on the worship team when I was a kid because I really wanted to play music, right? And that's what time worship practice is, 8.30 a.m. And so all these years later, I'm still showing up early in the morning and, and, and attending. And I'm not bringing this up like, like, oh man, look at me. Like, look at how great I am. And, and, and what I've done is what's kept me in the message. No, 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 that's the reason why I've showed up. But what has kept me in the message that Jesus is Lord of all is not myself, it's you. It's showing up to be around you you people who through my entire life have prayed for me. And you, many of you taught me, I mentioned Buddy Joyner, I'll mention Mickey Joyner, who taught me in Sunday school. And Richard McMinn, who taught me in Sunday school. And y'all, I remember a time when Richard took a bunch of us young guys and walked us, during Sunday school, walked us down the sidewalk to Hardee's to get a biscuit, all right? So just imagine Richard with a little line of us young guys just walking down the sidewalk to go get a biscuit, right? Pretty awesome. I I don't think many parents will let that happen today, right? This is a different time. But I remember these investments into me of people who prayed, who taught me in Sunday school, who believe, who have sowed, who have hugged in small ways. And it's the people, it's the family of God that has kept me in the message of Jesus being Lord of all. I have experienced the power that is found in being committed to a specific people in a specific place, united around a specific message, the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And so in Acts chapter two, we see Peter give a clear, powerful explanation of the gospel. That Jesus, he's alive and he's not dead. And in Luke, uh, Luke writes in verse 37 that those who heard this message, they were pierced to the heart. 
What must we do, they asked. And Peter gives clear direction. Repent, be baptized. Repent, adjust the direction of your life and place it on a path towards God. Be baptized, declare by the washing of water that Jesus has washed you clean of sin and made you right with God. And you now unite yourself with other believers in this new way of living. So then what did they do next? Jesus is Lord of all. What must we do? Repent and be baptized. And there's this commotion that's happening, right? Like, like Luke is telling this story, the writer of Acts. Luke, disciple of Jesus who wrote the gospel of Luke and, writes, and records uh, the book of Acts. He, there's this fast action that's happening, right? Like Jesus is ascending and he's appearing to people and he's teaching. And, and now all of a sudden they're waiting and they're clothed with power and there's all this commotion. And then there's just kind of this culmination point. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So what did they do next? Attend a church service only on Easter and Christmas? keep to themselves and only associate with those that they like, hoard their wealth to themselves, pray only before eating a meal, worship only when they like the song. You can laugh, it's okay. No, they devoted, committed, went all in on studying the teaching from the apostles who carried the message of the gospel to sharing their lives with other believers, to breaking bread and praying, worshiping together, celebrating the risen Christ, meeting the needs of each other. Verse 46 says they met daily in the temple. Luke, the writer of Acts and a disciple of Jesus gives rapid pace to the opening chapters of Acts and the excitement continues in chapter two with the day of Pentecost with, with Peter's preaching um, and the 3,000 people who commit to following the Jesus way of life. But he quickly pauses and directs our focus. If you're reading this for the first time, it, it, Luke has your attention. 3,000 people, what happened next? And with the reader full of intrigue, Luke tells us the result of all of this. This next step was a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All four necessary and requiring the other. See, what Luke and the early church set straight for us is receiving the message of Jesus is to be invited in and commit to a family of Jesus followers. I respond to the the gospel by joining a family of believers. I do not say yes to following Jesus and then go on with my ordinary way of life. No, there is now a unification around a common group of people because we have a common thing to unite around. Hear me, if you think that you are fine on your own, Lone Ranger style Christianity, you are fooling yourself. That is peak Western individualization at its finest. And I will not allow this Western individual thinking to get into this gospel message, right? There are cultures who don't have Jesus who understand interdependence better than some Christians in America today. You can't know God all alone by yourself. You can't. 65% of people in a Lifeway um, uh, survey, this is just mind boggling. 65% of churchgoers agree with the statement, I can walk with God without other believers. That is a made up God. That God does not exist. God is experienced collectively. Worshiping together corporately has become optional for many. We must resist that drift. To receive the gospel is to join a family of believers. I have, listen to me, I'm gonna time out for a second. I have so much grace in my life for people in different seasons of life. And I want to make sure to provide the appropriate amount of invitation and grace that matches the level of challenge that I am wanting to present before us today. Because the challenge is that we cannot experience the fullness of what God has for us and, and truly live out the gospel message in the way that it was lived out by the earliest believers 
on our own. We must commit to a family of believers. We must show up. And that looks like a lot of different things. One of those things does look like gathering on Sundays to attend worship, right? This is not the sum total of the church, but this is one facet of it, right? We read that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We read that they were devoted to prayers, and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but there's this idea that they were devoted to worship, to gathering together to worship, some in large contexts and some in smaller contexts. But I have incredibly amounts of grace for people in different seasons of life, especially because I'm going through this myself for young families, The challenge to simply make it on a Sunday morning is unreal, right? And I have the, please hear me, I have just the utmost respect and honor for my wife, Anna. Because while I'm here in the morning getting a lot of things ready, she's at home with six-year-old, three-year-old, and eight-month-old. And they're here today because she got them ready, because she loaded them in the car, because she walked them in. And she shows up knowing oftentimes that she'll be holding our eight-month-old majority of the service. My sister has them right now. (laughs) Thank you, Megan. Knowing that, you know, he'll likely get hungry in a moment. And so she may catch snippets of worship, snippets of the, of the teaching, um, but she's here and she shows up. And there's some Sundays where that's just not feasible and having a young family. So I, I just have grace for people in different seasons of life. I wanna honor my brother, Evan, um, who had chemo this past Monday, chemo treatment, his second one of his new round of treatments. Um, but today he was here 8.30 this morning for worship practice and he was playing drums today. So chemo on Monday, drums this morning, playing, showing up and their whole family is here today. After being completely wiped out most of this week, we got breakfast together Friday and ate Waffle House and that was kind of like a, the resurrection meal, you know, for him uh, that week. I was like, all right, I think, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna make a week out of it, you know, ready for the weekend. And he's here this morning, because he was here this morning playing drums, I was better able to look over what I was going to teach on today. And I would, because typically I'm in the drum cage. And what a gift and a blessing that is. And so I, <laughs> I'm just great. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for, for people who in the midst of incredible opposition and challenge in their life and, 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 and difficulty, they still see the message of Jesus of somehow still being worthwhile to push past and still pursue him. And not just in isolation, but still try to find a way to pursue him amongst other people. And it's compelling to me. There's just unfortunately a lot of things. I know in my life, and would possibly be the same for you, that um, are taken for granted and treated frivolously. And, and there's some things that that's okay to get by with. but there's something about this gospel message and there's something about being devoted to a family of believers that I just really, really desire to see treated with honor and respect and to be pursued with devotion.
And so 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is a living stone, not just any stone. He's a living stone. He's the cornerstone. And he has laid himself down to be our cornerstone, the building point, the unifying point. And we are like living stones. Not you, but we collectively. And stone by stone by stone, we each come together building the temple of God, a spiritual house. Many Christians come to church. They get a teaching. They listen to um, some, some worship. Maybe they attend a class. But are you so built into the fabric of the church body that if you were removed like a stone, it would collapse the house? The power of the spirit comes into your life as you are built together with a body of believers. Quiet times are great. I love quiet times with me and the Lord. Those are sacred moments. I cherish them and we should pursue them, praying to God, he and I, me and him together, right? But the spirit really falls. They're being woven together in a spiritual family. The church is a community of people that gather around not a religious idea or a philosophy, but a person, the risen Jesus. We believe that he is a real person that really was crucified and really rose from the dead. So a church is, is, is that, that's the primary purpose is to gather in the name of the risen Jesus. And historically Christian and non-Christian have been intrigued by the birth of the church. It's unlikely what we see today shouldn't be here wasn't uncommon in, in, in history uh, for, for, for different Jewish messiahs, right? Not the messiah, but Jewish would-be messiahs to incite insurrections. But Rome would kill these revolt leaders and their movements would disband, except for these followers of Jesus. Killing Jesus didn't work. After Jesus' death, the movement did not disband. It grew more followers who profess faith in him. Something happened. In order for people to follow to the degree and still are today, something happened. Real people then, and there are real people now, worshiping and gathering around a real risen Jesus. And so Acts, look at what happened in the first century. Do you hope for what happened? Acts 1, Jesus is appearing. Paul says that there was at times where Jesus uh, appeared after he had risen from the dead to 500 people or so. This isn't just a few people here and there that, that, that claim they saw Jesus. Paul says there was 500 or so that Jesus appears to after being risen from the dead. And Jesus says, go wait, go wait, and you'll be my witnesses You'll be filled with power. You'll be my witnesses. How? How will they be witnesses? How are we witnesses today? We, what we read in the beginning, Peter preaching, his spoken word, his gospel message that he proclaims that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, the Jesus that was crucified, right? That message, the message that I proclaim to my stuffed animals, that Jesus is Lord of all, right? That message proclaiming, speaking the gospel. It, when we are faithful to preach the gospel, to share it, to proclaim it, something happens, life change happens. And so that is how we are able to witness, but that is not the only way that we see as a witness in Acts chapter two. There is this spoken word, but in verse 42, there's these new habits. There's these new ways of living that unite followers of Jesus and witness to the witness to the risen Christ. Verbally telling about Jesus is one way, but also through believers adopting a new life and routine bears witness. Word and deed. 
we just finished a couple weeks ago um, a bunch of young families. There's nine couples, about 18 or 19 kids amongst all of us. Um, and we were grateful to have like three or four different uh, teenagers keep our kids every single week. And we would meet and eat and we'd feed our kids and we'd send the kids to go play. And then as adults would consider, do we really wanna do this like curriculum or do we wanna just like all turn off the lights and take a nap? Which one should we do? And so oftentimes we felt like, no, we should be spiritual. Let's do this. Let's really, let's really try to grow in our faith or something. But a nap does sound nice. Um, and it was a, uh, it, it was you know um, this eight week video and study guide uh, called Godspeed, something that um, my sister uh, put me onto, at, you know probably eight years ago, I think it was seven years ago, back in 2016. Um, There's a documentary uh, by Matt Canlis, um, and then later you know put together this eight week study guide, and. Um, uh, Matt Canlis, um, you know, he talks about pastoring in a small village in Scotland, right? And you can watch the documentary, it's 30 minutes, Godspeed, Matt Canlis, I can uh, send it to you. Um, but, you know, it, people, the people who lived in this small village in Scotland where he was pastoring, uh, they, they really lived as a community. Like it was just woven into the culture there, right? They lived as a community and the pastor was expected to be out amongst the people. Right, he he tells a story about how he shows up, um, you know, to kind of talk about, hey, um, you know, where's my office, right? And uh, just kind of this bewildered look at him, right? Uh, because the office was out in the parish, out amongst the people, right? And so, um, you know, and and speaking of, I'm so grateful, uh, Pastor Mark. You can ask uh, myself and Gail, um, you know how often he is not found in his office, right? Um, people come by checking all the time. You know, is, is Pastor Mark in, in his office? Like, no, he's not in his office, you know? And, um, and, and I, I, you know, sometimes it's kind of a frustrating thing, right? When we're like, hey, we really need to talk to him about something. Uh, really, you know, need a decision about something, right? It can kind of be, but really uh, the example is a beautiful thing, you know, because there's days where, you know, it's like just left the uh, jailhouse to visit somebody, you know, who he's poured into uh, since they were, uh, uh, a young man has now found himself um, in the results of some bad decisions um, and then has, leaves the jailhouse to go right over to, um, to hospice care to visit with somebody who's on their um, you know, way out. And so um, there's just an example of, of somebody who is out and amongst. And I think it's an incredible thing. Um, it, I think, you know, um, if a pastor is just spending all his time in the office, then he's missing out on the beauty of people, right? And so, um, and I think that that goes true for all of us. If we just spend our time amongst ourselves and just my little, but I'm not out amongst other people in the community and, 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 and believers and non-believers and, and seeking to live out this gospel message, then we're really missing out. And so I just wanna read this excerpt from the Godspeed study guide to you this morning. So Matt says this, from the beginning, we have seen that God works with and through people. Before the fall, Adam and Eve are given a job, the creation mandate, to join God in stewarding creation. Later, God commissions a team, a nation, to bring his kingdom to earth. Notice also how Jesus, instead of working by himself, involves the disciples. God never works alone. Much of what dehumanizes the world today is our anonymity made possible by the large scale in which we live. Technology has only expanded our capacity for impersonalness and anonymity. And I, I got it right once. I wasn't gonna go for, I wasn't gonna get it right twice. But when God decided to save the world, he sent his son to a particular place to know and be known. Christ's mission now extends through us in our own parish, our small place on earth, where we can work against the dehumanizing elements in our society by knowing and being known. We do not need to make the gospel relevant. It is relevant, particularly in our day and age. We are the ones who must guard against impersonal ways that obscure the gospel and therefore its relevance. So we oftentimes will shop around for Acts 2, right? We're just kind of shopping around and looking for it, right? And we're just kind of bebopping around looking for Acts 2 when it's right in front of us. 
it's available to us if we would just commit and devote to the same spirit that the early church devoted themselves to. So Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, he sort of breaks the four pillars that we talked about, the apostles' teaching, uh, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, he, he sort of breaks them up this way. Number one, the apostles' teaching, learning. Number two, the fellowship, sharing. Number three, breaking of bread, being together. And number four, the prayers, worship. So learning. This community were meeting in the temple courts. This would have been the largest open space of their time. Few football fields, maybe, you know what I mean, would be this area, the largest area. So this is just the easiest place for a large gathering to take place. But they were also gathering in homes throughout the city. And this community is marked by learning. Learning is a vital part of this community of believers. The apostles taught. We learn uh, now through what's recorded of and by the apostles in the New Testament, right? And so they were meeting together to learn from the apostles. We now learn from them through the New Testament. And so... Learning was a hallmark of the early church. Sharing. The word used oftentimes in our Bibles is the word fellowship. And isn't that just a sweet word, right? If there was ever a church word, it's the word fellowship, right? Well, the other night, we just had a great time of fellowship together. And y'all come on out next week to our missions dinner. We're gonna have a great time of fellowship, right? And uh, it, it's like only, you only use it in church. Like if I were to invite you, like so you would invite somebody over like to your house, you mean, hey, would you like to go over to my house and watch a movie and just have a time of fellowship? You know, it's not something that we really use a whole lot. You wanna go to lunch together? We could just have some fellowship. Is we use it like in, in sort of, and so it sort of just means like hanging out, right? It just sort of means kind of being together. Um, but the word that is really used in the Greek language is so much more than just kind of mere hanging out together for just a little bit, right? Um, the, the, the word in the, in the Greek is this word koinonia, right? And so it is a commitment, hear this, it is a commitment to sharing your life, your time, your stuff, your resources. It is a sharing of your life, not just a nice greeting and pleasantries. It's a sharing of your life. So learning, sharing, being together, breaking of bread, eating together. When you invite someone over to your house for, to share a meal with you, this is more than just nourishment in the physical, right? This is opening your life up to someone to host. In the early church, they would do this. And during their time of meal sharing, they would take bread and cup and remember Jesus, the Lord's Supper, right? And so there's this idea of being together around a meal and just really opening up your lives together. And number four, worship. The prayers. Um, some sh translations will say they devote themselves um, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Um, a, a more accurate translation, there's an article um, that should be included and that's the prayers. And that just would have meant the prayers that were prayed at this time. So there was many Jewish prayers that, they, that even the early Christians would have adopted. There was many prayers that Jesus made. And so these mean like actual prayers that they committed to praying together as a body of believers. And um, so when we see this commitment to prayer or to the prayers, what we can come to understand this as is they gathered to offer prayer and worship unto God. And so they're directing themselves to God. And so a community of Jesus, listen to me, gathers in different formats and contexts to learn and be transformed by truth, sharing their life together and their stuff and to worship, right? And so, um, you know, we can set a great example of that. I think Pastor Mark sets a great example of, of Koinonia, right? Um, sh a great sharing example. But, but what about you, right? And there's a lot of things that, you know, church can try to program, you know, like we have small groups um, because we wanna try to program and facilitate some opportunities for you to connect with other people and share your life together um, and, and break bread together. And, and, and we have, you know, a growth track, which is like our new members process, which is like, you know, our, our, we're trying to get you assimilated into the life of the church. And so there's some things that, that we could program, but we, as a church, I think sometimes there's this unrealistic expectation when people attend church that like the church and like the pastor is just supposed to like program everything for you, you know what I mean? Or like just sort of like build your social network for you or or just give you all the you know what I mean like where where the 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 kind of you know work is 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 taken off of you right 
Um, and so there's this understanding in the early church where, um, you know, yet yeah, the, the apostles were teaching and, and there was worship that was happening, but the sharing and the being together was something that was taken up by all people and, and, and all believers. And so, you know, there's some things that we just can't program. We can't program one-on-one connections. And so, uh, you know, the challenge before us today is, is, is how might you be a living stone? How might you try to prioritize what the early church prioritized? Becoming a Christian is joining a family of believers, a church, and letting those four things become priorities in your life. And so what if this isn't a priority to you? Or, or, or what if you become disenchanted, disoriented with the idea and the concept of church, right? And, and the idea of being in a family of believers and, and, uh, and just, just excited about worshiping God. Maybe that joy is not there inside of you like it was for my stuffed animals. When I preached the gospel to them, they were committed to each other, um, shared all things in common together. Um, and it was a beautiful beautiful thing but but what about you how how do you let me ask you this question how do you rediscover the why how how do I get back in touch with what I may have experienced as David said create in me a clean heart O Lord restore to me the joy of my salvation maybe there's some people this morning who you feel compelled and it's like I've not been living as a as a living stone I've not been committed to this Jesus way of life in the family of God. And, 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 I, and I wanna go in, but I'm looking for, for, my, for my step, for my on-ramp, right? I think you do it by the last of those four pillars and that's worship. Prayer, Acts chapter two, verses 46 through 47 says, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. The more beautiful an object, it pushes you to praise. We get together and praise God and say, look, look at that. Look how beautiful this risen Jesus, this risen savior. Look how beautiful what he has done. Some of you may think and see me around, you know, Mark Anthony, he's kind of a quiet guy. But for some reason, when he gets up on stage, he's kind of loud and boisterous. Where's this shy little kid that I saw growing up here at church? When he gets up on stage, it's like he's preaching in front of his stuffed animals again. Why? I'm trying to get out what is inside. When I step up here, there's a beauty that I'm trying to communicate. There's a message so compelling that I'm reaching and I'm stretching for analogy, for, for, for connection, for communication that would re- so resonate and so pierce hearts today that we would all say, yes, I wanna follow Jesus, not by myself, but together. The more beautiful the object, the more the joy must get out of you. Tim Keller, who passed away this week, someone who's encouraged me deeply in my walk with Christ, had, had this to say, Everyone has to live for something. And if that something is not God, then we are driven by that thing we live for. By overwork to achieve it, by inordinate fear if it is threatened, deep anger if it is being blocked, and inconsolable despair if it is lost. We all worship something. We don't gather the same way your social group may gather, right? 
your weekly supper club or whatever it may be. We don't gather in those same reasons. We don't gather just because we wanna be around people who affirm our prejudices or think like we do or talk like us or look like us. We are diverse and different and we gather to get our joy out. And we praise God because we have seen something so beautiful, so magnificent, and we are compelled to gather and worship and we are completed and compelled by this joy to share our lives with others and we are compelled to learn and grow with each other. And I'm so grateful to share my life with you, you body of believers. It's incredible to me, each and every week, who shows up. And I give a special shout out to some of the students and teenagers who are in the room today because they show up every Wednesday night after hearing me week after week. And some of them go to HCA, and so they hear me at chapel in the morning. They hear me at youth on Wednesday night. And it's like they have to get tired of hearing And now they're hearing me on Sunday morning, and they decided to show up again. but I'm just so honored. And guys, I'm so honored that you, that you share your life with me. That we get to break bread together at Chick-fil-A and other places. I'm honored that you guys wanna worship, you guys wanna hear teaching. It's beautiful. And church, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you'd be here this morning. I'm honored that I would get to teach this message, this 2,000 year old message. That some way, somehow, there's still people who find the message of Jesus to be beautiful. And things in life are gonna get in the way and things in life are gonna rob us of our joy. And there are gonna be obstacles and it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be hard to, to to, to show up at times, to show up to life, to show up to community, to show up to spaces. But I am just so proud of every single person who still shows up and says, through it all, I'm here. I'm still praising God. I'm still showing up to my friends. I'm still trying to serve on the worship team or in the nursery or at, as a greeter or wherever I can. I'm still showing up to loaves and fishes. I'm still trying to share what I have. I, I don't have much. Lord has it, has, has it, you know, shown me where that tree is that's got all the money growing on it. I don't got a whole lot, but, but I try to give a little bit of what I can to somebody else who may have some in need as well, right? I, I try to open up my can't, you know, I, I try to, you know, share and, 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 and get to know people when I can. I don't have all the time in the world, but I try to make space for people when I can. And, and, and I'm just so compelled by the beauty and the majesty of God that even in those times where I just feel so doubtful and disenchanted and frustrated with God, and, and I'm just so broken by my situation that even in the midst of that, I can look and I can lift up this broken, this, this frustrated, but this beautiful hallelujah to God and worship him in all of his majesty and his beauty and his splendor. And I can show up on Sunday morning and I may be in some kind of mood, right? And I may not want you to come up and say hey to me, but I say that Jesus was broken for me and I praise him. So how are you doing this morning? It's how we rid ourselves of contempt by praising a broken Jesus. It's how we rid ourselves of bitterness towards others by praising a broken Jesus. It's how we unify ourselves across different social barriers is we lift up a praise to a broken, risen Jesus. It's the unifying point of the church. And tell me a place where such diversity exists on a Sunday morning than a church gathering of people who got a lot of wealth and people who don't, who people who grew up on this side of town and people who grew up on that side of town. That church is this place where we unite neither uh, uh, Greek nor Jew, male nor female, but it is Jesus Christ that we find our unifying point in. And we worship this risen Jesus. 
and devote ourselves to one another. So it's how we comfort each other by praising a broken Jesus, broken for us, broken people who showed us he became the human that we could never be so that we could become the human that we could never be. And worshiping God together humanizes us in a world of dehumanization. The world is dehumanizing us. There's this drift in this pool in society, but we as a church, we stand defiantly against the dehumanization and we gather and we worship to be more fully human every Sunday. And whether that looks like large gatherings or small gatherings or throughout the week or prayers or breaking bread, sharing a meal, fellowship, fellowshipping with one another, visiting someone in the hospital, we are humanizing one another. Will you stand with me? So how do we shake ourselves from the disenchantment? How do we shake ourselves from, from the disorientation? And, and, and how do we get out of the rut? How do we get out of, of the complacency? We have to fix our gaze on the beautifulness of Jesus because this beautiful, uh, uh, magnificent Jesus, the, the beauty must be expressed. It must be, it is found complete whenever we praise and we worship the object of our affection. We gotta let our joy out, church, and humanize ourselves this morning through worship today. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for our, your goodness towards us, Father God. Lord, I thank you so much for the message that we get to carry in this world today, Father God, that we get to walk arm in arm together, committed to one another, Jesus. Father God, we love you. We celebrate you, Jesus. We proclaim your goodness, God. We just worship you this morning. We sing praise to you, Jesus. Praise to you, God. Praise to you, our Father. Praise to you, our Son, Jesus. Praise to you, Holy Spirit. We just worship you this morning. We love you, God. Even now, you just begin to worship God. We just begin to tell him how magnificent he is, how beautiful he is. Let your joy out this morning, church. Let it humanize you today.